Good morning. Scripture this morning comes from Mark 10, verses 2 through 12. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord for us. You know, they say that being an adult is mostly just Googling how to do stuff. (laughs) So today, we are at the third season or stage of life. And I think I can fairly say this, that it's a busy one. It's this season of life where you sort of start to chart your own path in life. You you embark out on your own. In most cases, you, you leave your family of origin and you pursue a career, or you might get married and start the great adventure of parenthood. You have this endless list of tasks associated with being a grown-up, <laughs> with your work, with your home, with your church, your PTA, your fitness goals, your kids' soccer schedules. Like one young person recently quipped, so being an adult is just never-ending chores? <laughs> this, of course, has led way to the term adulting. Adulting. Maybe you're familiar with this term and what it means. Maybe you use this term, but it is sort of this self-aware acknowledgement that life has quickly evolved and is now consists of routines and tasks and habits associated with being a grown-up. Here's what's funny. You might not have any prior experience or training, and yet all of a sudden you find yourself in these scenarios where you are expected to be competent, if not the expert. So, you're expected to do your taxes and go buy a lawnmower. And in some cases, you find yourself and you're somebody's boss or you're somebody's parent. (laughs) You see what I'm getting at here. And you might have this horrifying moment where you're sort of looking around for the adult and you realize you are that person. (laughs) This is the, the era of adulthood and it's what we're talking about today. So I'm John. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. We are doing a sermon series called Seasons. This is week three. And we're learning that God is faithful in every stage, at every age, God is faithful. So in this season of life, this third season of life, we tend to think of marriage as normative. So many people will grow up with the assumption, the hope, the dream, the expectation that they will be married at some point. But I want to acknowledge right here up front that it doesn't always turn out that way. That not each and every person is married. Sometimes you get married, but then your spouse dies. Or you get married, but it just doesn't work out. 
And for some, the Lord has called you to singleness. And probably for many, you're living in this, especially for young, younger folks. You, you find yourself living in this tension as a single person of, will I or won't I? Does God have someone for me? Will I get married or will I not? And so really what I want to do this morning, there's so much that could be said about the, this busy season of life and all of the responsibilities that come, but no matter what your station, no matter what your particular situation, relationships are a really important and key part of this life. And again, for, for many, that's family life. That, that's finding a spouse, starting a family, and all the busyness and craziness that ensues. For others, it's grappling with singleness or navigating the dating scene. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time together is really help us understand what does the Bible say about this subject, P- particularly marriage, but then we will also talk about the issue of singles. So Mark chapter 10, some teachings of Jesus that John read for us, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Those are two places that will be in the scriptures this morning. And again, here's, here's a, the word of encouragement for each and every one of us today. No matter what relationship status you find yourself in, you are called to give glory to God. So I want that to land in your heart and mind this morning. No matter what your relationship status, you are called to give glory to God. You are to serve him joyfully. And so if we look into the scriptures together this morning, we're going to learn that marriage is a matter of the heart. Marriage is a matter of the heart. So turn with me in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, we read that Jesus went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Now, if you're here this morning and you're one of my How to Study the Bible students, you've begun learning this fall uh, a good method of Bible study that starts with observation. And so we would initially say, what is there about geographically about this region that might help us understand or set the context for this? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) This is the region where John the Baptist did ministry. And if you know about John the Baptist, you know it was here that John denounced Herod's, uh, he denounced him for marrying his brother's wife. So this sort of divorce and remarriage scenario was unfolding, and John spoke against it, and it cost him his life. He was imprisoned. He was then ultimately killed because of it. And so it's here that the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This is a trap. They're putting Jesus in a really difficult situation, because if Jesus denounces Herod, then he's probably going to face the same fate that his cousin John the Baptist did. He'll be imprisoned, might be beheaded. But on the other hand, if he denounces John, why then he loses his credibility. He probably loses his audience. He loses his ministry. And so it's a difficult situation for Jesus to be in. But as you and I read that question, we say, well, what a silly question for our time today. Of course, it's lawful to get a divorce. People get a divorce all the time. It happens every day. I read one statistic that said in the United States, there's a divorce every 36 seconds. By the time you leave here today, there'll be 250 divorces that have taken place in our country. So you say, of course it's legal. Of course it's lawful. That happens all the time. In verse three, Jesus answers their question 
with a question. This is typical Jesus fashion. What did Moses command you? See, Jesus knows something about these Pharisees. He knows they're part of what he called the adulterous generation, that they themselves loved their divorces. But at the same time, they also really, really, really wanted to adhere to the word of God. You heard that just last week if you were with us, by the way. We talked about young people and how they're grappling for their identity. And for the Pharisees, their identity was that they were rule followers. So Jesus knows this about them. And in verse 4, they reply. They say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Hmm, Well, that's true, sort of. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1. Moses describes that happening. We don't necessarily have evidence in the scriptures of him commanding it or even condoning it. And so then Jesus responds to them in verse 5. We're in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is teaching us about marriage. And he says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. See, marriage is about the heart. The Pharisees are asking about laws and rules and legal things, and Jesus responds to them about the heart. And I do want to say, marriage is this beautiful picture of God's relationship with humanity. An earthly marriage between husband and wife actually puts on display the glory of God's covenant-keeping love with us. So it is indeed sacred. Marriage is sacred. Marriage is meant to tell the truth of the gospel that Christ died for the church, which is called the bride, that he loves that he never breaks his covenant with his bride, that he's constantly pursuing his bride, that he's growing in relationship with her. It reminds me of the woman who came into Menards. Uh, She asked the employee, where's the tool section? He pointed it out and said, is there anything specific you're looking for? She said, yeah, my husband. Jesus came to conquer the hardness of the human heart. He came to die for our sins, to give himself for us. And so it's only because of Jesus that you and I could be counted as righteous, that we could actually be at one with our heavenly father. It's only because of Jesus that we could have a marriage that in some way represents This covenant between God and humanity, this sacrificial covenant-keeping love, even for a sinful bride. So the next thing we see is that marriage is God's invention. In fact, these next verses, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 6, are really sort of the clearest statement in the Bible that marriage is not merely a human institution. We didn't dream it up. It's not designed by us. It's a divine invention created by God. So starting in verse 6, here's what Jesus says. He says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And of course, he's quoting Genesis 1.27. And then again, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's quoting Genesis 2.24. And so then here is Jesus' commentary. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. In verse 9, therefore, what God has joined together, 
And that's what we're recognizing this morning. Have humans decided to join together? Have humans created this idea? No, God has. What God has joined together, our Lord Jesus says, let no one separate. The union of marriage is a work of God. It's divine activity. Oh, sure, you need a pastor to legalize it. You got to get the marriage certificate and and, and all that, uh, of course. But it wouldn't have happened apart from God's design. So what Jesus is saying here is that this man and woman have been joined together in marriage by God. And so humans don't have the right to separate what God has joined together. If we go to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul repeats some of these same verses. And then in verse 32, he says this, that it is a profound mystery. That is the, the union between husband and wife, the two becoming one. He says it's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So a marriage is a covenant. It's a spiritual covenant between two people, a man and a woman. And they promise, they covenant together before one another in the context of Christian community, but most importantly, before Almighty God, that they will be faithful as husband and wife in this new one flesh union. And the reality is that must be lived out in Christian marriages. If we are going to display the grace of God. But marriage is hard. Marriage is really hard. And we are so flawed. And even if we've been married a long time, Rachel and I will celebrate 18 years of marriage tomorrow. Even if we've been married a a long time, we still need to grow We still need to be refined. We still need to improve. Like the wife who was criticizing her husband. She goes, you know, our neighbor gives his wife a kiss every morning before he goes to work. Why don't you do that? And he says, no way. I don't even know her. But there's a sobering reality when you look into the statistics of of marriages and ones that succeed and ones that fail. And what I have found is that marriages in the church aren't really any different than marriages in the world or outside the church. And so something is going wrong. And I just think that the solution here is not try to be a better spouse. And I think that maybe in the church, that's the approach we've taken. Try to be a better spouse. Try to be a better wife. Try to be a better husband. I think that maybe the solution lies somewhere in the fact that we've got to fully embrace this mystery of Christ and the gospel. And his sacrificial love for his bride. That those truths are what impact our marriages and set them apart from the world. So marriage is a matter of the heart. Marriage has been invented by God. And thirdly, marriage is for life. 
Jesus explains this in more detail. If we're continuing on in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 10, he, he and his disciples sort of get away together. They're alone, they're in private, and he's able to explain in more detail. So let's look there together. It says, when they were in the house, again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answers, well, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Church, it's so important that we think biblically about marriage, about divorce, about what the scriptures say. I recognize fully today as I'm speaking that we have people in our church family who are married. We have people in our church family who are divorced. We have single people who are, and we'll get to that in a moment, but single people who are, who are still maybe even grappling with, will I get married? Will I stay single? You know, honestly, even just saying divorce, I think, makes some of us uncomfortable. Some of you are squirming in your seats right now. It's like, this is just, this is really uncomfortable. It, it, it can drum up really bad feelings. It, it drums up feelings of sorrow and loss and tragedy and disappointment and anger and regret and guilt. Why is that? Because divorce is painful. And, and what, what I'm trying to do is not in any way bring condemnation or shame or judgment. What I'm trying to do ultimately is bring about the truth of God's word. And I think even by naming that, we position ourselves for God's healing. Divorce is painful. And I want to be humble as I, as I preach this this morning because some of you know it in a much deeper, more significant way than I do. And I recognize that. That, that some of you have walked through divorce. That, that some of you, you're considering divorce right now. That others of you had parents who were divorced and you know that sting and you know that pain. And here's what you need. You need a church family who will love you and support you and walk alongside you. Now I want to make that clear today. That, that you need people in your life, Christian brothers and sisters, who will accept you unconditionally and who will come into your life with, with encouragement and a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on and helping hands and whatever it is you need. That, that's what the church is designed to be. We, we want to grieve with you in your times of pain. And we want to see you seeking the Lord and go with you before God's throne of grace. But as I said before, marriage is hard. We're, we're imperfect. Your, your, spouse is, your spouse is not perfect. <laughs> and when I, when I go through premarital counseling with couples that are about to take this step and they're all... So wide-eyed and head over heels in love. I'm like The day's going to come when you see something in your spouse that you don't appreciate. <laughs> that you see, you see the ugly side. But listen, your goal is not to just change your spouse. Your, your goal isn't to just make them into the person that you want them to be. No. You, you are called to lovingly... Live with them, support them, cherish them. Oftentimes our wedding vows include that. Like the guy who was saying how thankful he was for all of his wife's hard work in the kitchen, just slaving away and creating meals. He said, yeah, her cooking is like an act of worship. Yep, just like a burnt offering to the Lord. 
If you're in a marriage and it's troubled and it's hard and it's challenging and it's difficult and you're struggling, I want to encourage you, humble yourself, seek the Lord, serve your spouse, seek God's healing, God's restoration. You probably need to seek godly counsel as well. You, you might need to go somewhere and ask for help. Could you pray for us? Could you encourage us? We, we're not sure how to get through this together. That's okay. I do want to say, in cases where there's abuse, it may be very appropriate for there to be separation between husband and wife for a period of time with the goal of restoration. Okay, we should never, ever, ever take the words of Jesus to mean that a wife should be subject to an abusive husband. So that's not that's not a correct interpretation of scripture. We would not have a woman stay in a home where she's being abused physically or 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 emotionally. Instead, it is appropriate for a time of separation with the goal of restoring the relationship what god has joined together jesus said let no one separate god intended marriage to be a lifelong relationship so if we turn to first corinthians chapter 7 Paul weighs in on this whole subject this this whole chapter we don't have time to go through the whole chapter together this morning but you should study it <laughs> And again, no, no matter what stage you're, you're at, no matter what your relationship status, you should study this. But let's key in together on verses 10 and 11. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. To the married, I give this command. And then, and then look at this, Paul qualifies, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And so again, the, this New Testament teaching, we believe, applies to followers of Jesus. That it should indeed be obeyed. Did you know in our nation, 41% of marriages end in divorce? And then we have scenarios where people remarry. And the stats on the second marriage that takes place is 60% of those end in divorce. We have scenarios where that, that marriage ends, and guess what? Uh, it's third time's a charm, apparently. And do you know what happens with a third marriage situation? 73% end in divorce. We also know that for couples who choose to cohabitate, that is to live together before they get married, their chances of divorce skyrocket. When you say, well, let's live together first, Let, let's try this thing out, let's, let's cohabitate, your chances of getting a divorce skyrocket. So I'll put it just as plain and simply as I can, and I'm quoting scripture here, but marriage is for life, till death do us part. I also want to be clear this morning that, that in the gospel narrative, there is redemption and healing even for mistakes that have been made. That's why it's good news, isn't it? That, that there's always hope for a new beginning in Christ. That God does indeed forgive us. That God restores us. That the blood of Christ washes clean the repentant heart of all sin. 
And we've all made mistakes. We all stand in need of Christ. I also want to be clear on this. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. It's not, oh, well, you're at this level, but he's at that level. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Each and every one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray and stand in need of God's forgiveness and redemption, God's touch of grace in our lives. We've all sinned. We've all committed spiritual adultery. But Jesus offers hope. And Jesus' love is perfect. His love for us as his bride is a perfect love. He never forsakes us. He never abandons us. He never abuses us. He always loves us, always takes us back when we wander. He's always patient with us. He always cares for us. He always provides for us. He always protects us. He always takes delight in us. And so this radical call that I'm issuing this morning from the scriptures, this radical call to covenant keeping is indeed a declaration of the gospel. This is what Christ has done. And so may it be lived out in our realities as well. And now for singleness. Some people are called to a life of singleness. That is, you, you maybe grew up thinking and glamorizing the idea of marriage, but that's not God's will and that's not God's design. And so I want to put this out there for us today as well, that, that the person who's single, it's not true. It's not necessarily true that, well, they just couldn't find anybody. Well, there must just be something wrong with him or her, because nobody wants to marry them. No, no, no. I want to dispel those myths. In fact, if we look at the scriptures here, and again, this this takes place in 1 Corinthians 7, we begin to see that the single person is called to this devoted life, fully devoted life to Christ, free of distraction, not divided in their affairs. So if we look at verse 34 there in 1 Corinthians 7, here's what Paul says. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Now, to be sure, children and spouses are a blessing. You've heard me say that multiple times. I'm not contradicting myself. Of course, when God gifts you a spouse, when God blesses you with children, they are a blessing, but they are a temporary blessing. They're a temporary blessing. Marriage itself is temporary. In fact, marriage ultimately is going to finally give way to that relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and the church. Jesus teaches us that in Mark chapter 12, by the way. He says that marriage is going to cease to exist in eternity. So I'm not going to be Rachel's husband in heaven. We're both going to be there. (laughs) We're both going to be worshiping Christ and enjoying paradise. But here's what's eternal, the family of God. Children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High, united with the Lord. So God has great blessings for those who are single. 
God calls those who are single to display in their lives this great truth about Christ and his kingdom. So I want to say this very clearly, that to be single is not falling short of God's best. It's not that there's something flawed, there's something wrong, but it is this path of Christ-exalting, covenant-keeping obedience. So in marriage, as well as in singleness, our first calling is to glorify God. No matter what your relationship status, you are called to give glory to God. If you're single, use this season to its full potential. Check out this story. I viewed singleness as something that eventually would change. Uh, When you're 20, you're single because you haven't gotten married yet. When you're 30, you're single because you're single because you're not married. Being single, I'm tempted towards sin in unique ways like i'm tempted to believe there's something wrong with me so that means i need to fix it so that means i need to go spend money on this or i need to go get on this dating site or i need to go pursue this man or whatever um because of a fear that i should be married by now and i'm not and all that and all those anxieties i've most felt my singleness when there was a loss in my family a few years ago it was the first time i really felt like i wish somebody was here with me to carry this burden. Um, I wish I was partnering with somebody that could help me with this, and it just wasn't there. Now, my singleness, I envision it as the Lord's gift to me. For me, as Christ has transformed my heart and thinking about, well, if I'm called to a life to give things away, then one of the biggest and honestly most intimate things I can do is welcome people into my home. So I bought a house, and then I had friends that needed places to stay who all happened to be missionaries. And so it was like, okay, well, this makes sense. And so I just invited people to come and they came. And then it, the house kind of grew with a reputation of being an open and welcoming home. I, I don't have a divided attention. I can just invite people in with the hope that I can serve and love them. What a neat testimony. What an amazing story of someone who's at a station in life Boy, she could be bitter, she could be angry, she could be very low on self-esteem, and yet she is using this time to its fullest potential. Why? Because she's serving the Lord. She's got this uh, home that she uses for hospitality. So we're talking about how there are blessings and benefits when God calls you into that role of singleness. So let me point out some verses from Isaiah 56. In verses 4 and 5, the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So this is specifically referring to those who will never have children. So those who won't experience the, the, you know, the, the blessing of, oh, I've got kids in my own life. This is saying that Being a member of God's family and serving him is the blessing. Remember what Jesus said when he was asked about his, his, his family members wanted to see him. He was teaching. It was like he was preaching, doing a Bible study. and His family was outside wanting to see him. This is in Mark chapter 3. And here's what Jesus says in verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will 
is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus just has a way of flipping everything upside down. He's just turning everything around. Yes, he loved his mother and his brothers. Yes, he, he, he didn't forsake them. He, he was in relationship with them. But see, he came into this world to call out a people for his name from all of the families on the earth and to then form them into a new family, the family of God, that includes those who are single. And again, as fully-fledged family members who do indeed bear fruit for the kingdom of God, who do indeed become mothers and fathers of a sort, but of the spiritual sort, of the eternal kind. So uh, what I want to point out is this, that, that both marriage and singleness present us, yes, with unique trials, but also unique opportunities, that there are indeed rewards for both of them. And so this morning... No matter what season of life you're in, whether you're a child, a teenager, an adult, or someone in the older years, the golden years, that's next Sunday, by the way, I want to invite you to respond this morning by trusting the Lord, by by trusting in his word and in his will, in his plan. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with being single. Trust him. Maybe you're listening this morning and you're in a marriage that's just going down the toilet. God can make a way. Maybe you've been through this dating scene and you've just gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. It's time to realize that it's just an endless cycle of disappointment that There is meaning and purpose only in Christ and a relationship with him. Maybe you're convicted today and wish you were a better spouse. Trust God to work in you that you would, through your love and devotion for Christ, serve your spouse the way that he has called you to. And there's a giant difference there. I want to highlight this. There's a giant difference there between saying you should be a better person and be a better spouse. No. Trust God and allow him to transform you into the person he wants you to be. For those of you that are married, it's not about staying in love. It's about portraying Jesus in your relationship. Oh, I guess it is about love. It's about agape love, the sacrificial love that God has for us, the covenant love that is unending. Because Jesus chose us as his bride, an imperfect people. He chose us and he bought us. He paid for us with his own blood. He covers us with his garments of righteousness. And he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Christ keeps his covenant. He keeps it forever. If you would like prayer today, I'm going to ask some of the members of our prayer team to come up to the front after service. Come and receive prayer today. Come to the foot of the cross.
So again, as we think about this third season of life, it's just a flurry of activity. One final challenge. Are you setting aside time each and every day for prayer? To get into the word of God? Don't be so busy that you forsake the most important things. Oh, that we would share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. As we live out the reality of the gospel in every season of life, even as we grow more and more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you with grateful hearts today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it shapes us, teaches us, corrects us, and guides us like a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. So God, by your Holy Spirit, would you continue to teach us and lead us in the way everlasting, this path of righteousness, of following you. Lord, thank you that you have pursued us with tireless devotion, with a burning passion, with agape love. Lord, our desire would be that that is demonstrated in our own lives, in our own marriages, as we serve one another and as we continue seeking you. So Lord, I would pray a blessing today. I pray a blessing on marriages today that you would bind husband and wife closer together, that you would do your work of transformation in their lives, that they would serve one another with humility. I pray for those that are struggling, that God, they would trust you. And I thank you for the gift of singleness that you bestow, Lord. And I pray for those in that season of life, that you would give them a vision for something beyond themselves, but to be wholly devoted to you and your kingdom in service to our great God. So Lord, as you do these things, we pray that you would be the one getting the glory and the accolades, not us, oh God, that you would become greater, that we would become less. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name.